Welcome to Little Sandy Baptist Church in Greenup, Kentucky. If you do not have a regular church home of your own and you live in our area, we invite you to worship with us each and every service. Tonight, we are continuing our journey in the book of Exodus, God's exit strategy. Tonight is share the load, Exodus 18, verse 1. When Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt, then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back, and her two sons, of which the name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been an alien in a strange land. And the name of the other was Eliezer, for, the Lord, for God of my father, and he was mine help, and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh." And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with the sons and the wife and the Moses into the wilderness, where he encamped at the mount of God. And he said unto Moses, I, thy father-in-law Jethro, am come unto thee, and thy wife and thy, her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and did obeisance, and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare, and they came into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all the Lord had done to Pharaoh, and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and, and all the travail that had come upon them by the way, and how the Lord delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who hath delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, who hath delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know the Lord is greater than all gods, for in the thing wherein they dealt proudly he was above them. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God. And Aaron came and all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood by Moses from the morning until the evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone, and all the people stand by thee from morning unto even? And Moses said unto his father-in-law, Because the people come unto me to inquire of God. When they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and another, and I do make them know the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. Thou wilt surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee, for this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. Hearken now unto my voice, I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to Godward, and thou shalt, that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. And thou shalt teach them the ordinances and laws, and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk, and the work that they must do. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, and men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, and rulers of hundreds, and rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all seasons, and it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge, so shall it be easier for thyself, and, and they shall bear the burden with thee. If thou shalt do this thing, and God command thee so, then thou shalt be able to endure, and all this people shall also go to their place in peace. So Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers over thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And they judged the people at all seasons. The hard cases they brought unto Moses, but every small matter they judged themselves. And Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way into his own land. Share the load. Let us pray. Lord, as we look at this text, something I certainly need to watch and listen to and be spoken to about, all of us do, in any kind of leadership, parents, grandparents, uh, husbands, wives. 
May we share the Lord, what you've called us to do. May we be about your business. Help me now this evening, uh, bless this teaching downstairs, and just work in our hearts and lives. May we be attentive tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. First of all, if you're jotting down notes, the first R is reunion. Uh, it says Jethro, Jethro, the priest of Midian. Now, there is some, some question. Some think he was his brother-in-law. Some think that Ruel was his actual father-in-law, and this word can also be brother-in-law, but I'm just going to stick with what the Bible says. It's, it's his father-in-law. I can tell you who it's not. It's not Maximilian Aldebert Bayer Jr., who in the world was that? Jethro Bodine. So this is not Jethro Bodine. Oh, he died worth $50 million. He was not a Clampett. He actually was related to the Clampets. Uh, I think it'd be a nephew of Jed. I always thought it was Jeb. It was actually Jed Clampett. And so he drove the big hillbilly truck to Beverly Hills and stayed there to further his education. So there you know, that's Jethro Bodine. And so... Uh, this is not that Jethro. That's all I can tell you. Uh, I, I think it's most likely it was Moses' father-in-law, but you can. There, it's a big study. I'm not going to go into it. Uh, I'm just going to be satisfied. It's Moses' father-in-law. He brings to him uh, Zipporah and his children. Uh, John Phillips says that he is a descendant from one of Abraham's other children through Keturah, one named Midian. Warren Wearsby feels that he is like Melchizedek. Jethro was a Gentile priest whose testimony indicates that he knew the true and living God. Evidently, he did know the true God, and probably it is possible he was with Moses for 40 years. Perhaps Moses led him to the true and living God, and because he was head of the household, then he was the one who offered the sacrifices for his household. It is possible, but he was a man of God. I really believe that from what the context here. He gives very godly wisdom, and he also says to Moses, if God's in this, do it. Ask God. If God's in it, do it. If it's not God, then don't do it. But that was very clearly toward the end of the text that we read. Verse 2. I took Zipporah, his wife, and the two children, Gershom and then Eliezer. Now, when Moses fled into Midian, if you remember the story, he's killed the Egyptian, Pharaoh founds out, and he flees into the desert, and he finds Zipporah and marries Zipporah, and he has his first child, and the first child is named Gershom, which means sojourner, stranger, or also it means banished one. Just a little bit of, of uh, license here, but possibly Moses was a little bit bitter. Why would you say that? Remember, he had a plan. He is, for 40 years, he'd been trained in Pharaoh's household. He is really trained to lead Israel out of Egypt. And so then, the one day, he spies this Egyptian beating up a Hebrew and kills the Egyptian. And the next day, he's ready. He expects them to follow along. And they say, what are you going to do? Kill me like you killed the person yesterday? And... <gasps> Again, I'm paraphrasing what the Bible says, but that's the idea. And so then Pharaoh found out, and he flees to Midian, and he's on the backside of the desert for... And what is he working with? Sheep. You wonder how he was able, 40 years later, to lead 2 million sheep? Because he's worked with sheep for 40 years. We never put that... The Bible's so practical. How is he able to do that? I'm telling you, he's had 40 years of experience dealing with that. That's how he's able to do that. The experience and... One person said this, bitterness comes from an attitude that challenges God's sovereignty over one's life. It'll happen to you. If you challenge God's sovereignty over your life, you're going to get bitter. God, I got a very raw deal in this. I want you to know that. And I'm just not too happy about it. Who's, is that sort of not what 
transgenderism is in a way. We're not, we're not satisfied with well, how God has made us. And so we're going to change ourselves. When this happens, though, a person can become miserable, totally unable to be positive. And so Gershom is, is named the banished one. And then the second child, this, by the way, is the only place in the entire Bible, I believe, that Eliezer is mentioned by name. Two or three years later, he has Eliezer. Uh, Steve Cole says this, this is the first and only mention of Moses' second son, whose very name suggests a rekindling of faith in Moses' heart compared to the despair. His name means God is my help. So there we are. Gershom, banished, discouraged, just struggling. Got right with God. God is my help. So there we are. Moses' two children, Zipporah, his wife. And I think of that song, You Know Better Than I. You know better than I. You know the way. It's a beautiful song. And I have listened to that last couple of months. It has been, I, I got a little sign. My wife made it for me by my chair. I got one in the refrigerator. I got one in my mind. You know better than I. If you'll just grasp onto that God does know better I don't we don't have to know all the answers perhaps he's come back to a place where he's ready to stay in the desert and die if that's what God wants him to do God is my help he learned the desert the way he learned there was the victory over the negative mind do you think for a moment that if Moses had started out at year 41 just got out of Egypt and started to lead the children of Israel Number one, they would not have followed him because they had no reason to leave. Number two, he's not ready materially to do the job. I tell you, when I got out of college, I was like most people, well, I'm pretty smart. I've been to, I've been to Bible college. And I know, oh my goodness, just ask me, I'll tell you about it. And so many young men, they graduate from Bible college and they think, man, I am going to, wait till they see me get in charge and they've never seen someone. Oh, I'm going to. And then you get to your first ministry. No one ever told me about this and this and this and this. I, I just thought it was a breeze. All you had to do was get up there and preach and just, just rant and rave and, and all those things. And all you had to do was study your Bible and be real spiritual. And that was how the ministry was going to be. It just, Miss, I remember when I came here to Candidate, it was July of, uh, July of 12, maybe it was June of 12, the first time I came here. And Mrs. Stevens says, Stevenson, she said, well, Tim, we're looking for somebody about 50. And that's exactly how old you are. Not too old. Not too young. You're probably like, nah, he's 50, but he still hasn't gotten mature yet. If you watch choir, if you come from a choir rehearsal, you'd probably say amen to that. My goodness, maturity is out the door. I, I've been, I've been, the choir rubs off on me, I tell you what. That's, that's what it is. It's their fault, yes. See, I can blame somebody else. See, there we go. Dave's helping me right there. Blame somebody else. But Moses is ready now. He's ready. By the way, it's interesting, uh, one of the commentators in verse 5 and 6, the idea is like that he sent ahead that Moses was, uh, he was coming to visit Moses, and Moses sent word, or he sent word to Moses, why would you even need to let Moses know you're coming? It's the city of, it's uh, the people of Houston, Texas. That's how many people they're dealing with. Can you imagine going to Houston, Texas? I'm here! Hello! Who are you again? And so you see that... uh, could be why, and just but God works all these things out. He comes to visit with Moses. Verse seven: Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, did obeisance, and wait, wait just a minute. You, you're talking about the leader of the Israelite people submits and humbly sur- submits himself to his father-in-law. 
Aren't you in charge, Moses? Yes. But I know what it means to honor someone who has helped me and honored me. It's, it's the way things should be done. Yet, was it? Yes. Leading two million people. He got off his horse and he helped them fix that barricade and got back on his horse and went on and led the Revolutionary War. George Washington, Moses, does obeisance to his father-in-law and welcomes him. Wow. The welfare means is shalom. The sense of well-being and harmony. How goes it with you, both within and without? Completeness, wholeness, peace, wealth, welfare, uh, health, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, all those things. The welfare of one another. Verse 9, And Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. What good news! And it wasn't like Jethro says, Oh, what about Midian? We're just over here languishing in this desert, and here you've got, oh my goodness, you've got all these things. He wasn't like that at all. Praise the Lord, you had five people saying, We have, have baptism tonight. We should rejoice that a person came to know Christ about three weeks ago, and tonight Brother Ball's bringing his church over, and they're baptizing I'm glad we have a chance to be a part of that. I mean, they've been a part of our church and still a part of our church. We just don't meet at the same place. We're the same church. We just don't meet the same building. And he has outreach in his area. We have outreach in our area. And praise we are working together for the cause of Christ. It's essential that we derive our understanding from God's word about all things. The goodness of God. He is good. He provides bountifully. I was just listening again. We've had, I think I might even do a message, maybe on capital punishment because there's so much, well, what should we do? The Parkland, he didn't get, he didn't get capital punishment. He got off with life without parole. He killed 17 people. What deserves, again, Bill O'Reilly, the Bill O'Reilly factor. I listened to him and said, well, I personally don't feel that we should kill anybody. I'm thinking, it's not your, it's not my opinion, God's word has to supersede. We may have some, we may have some sorrow. I'm sorrow for the 17 people whose families are groaning, are just burdened. You can't imagine now how much greater the burden is going to be because he did not get what I would think would be justice. We, when we lose the centrality of God's word, that's our basis. It is, really. The goodness of God, Tozier said, the goodness of God is that which disposes him to be kind, cordial, benevolent, and full of goodwill toward man. He, re- he rehearses the goodness of God. We can do those things. A writer from the Daily Bread said, sometimes we see a miracle and faith in God revives. Yet eyes of faith can see God's hand at work throughout our lives. It's not just the wonderful things that happen. It's the day-by-day wonderful things that we don't, we don't even acknowledge. Jethro said in 10, Blessed be the Lord who hath delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, who hath delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. It was Nikita Khrushchev who once boasted that he would display the last Soviet Christian on television by 1965. You'll see the last Christian in Russia. Karl Marx by the way, uh, Khrushchev is long dead, and probably more people are saved in Russia now than there were then. Karl Marx called the belief in God the sign of the oppressed creature, the opium of the people. Marx also has gone to his eternal destiny, but the opium he spoke, out, spoke of continues to spread throughout the world. Matter of fact, Gideons alone have given, what, 2.4 billion Bibles? There, Voltaire, who said that God's word will be crushed. There, uh, all the other emperors who tried to crush the, uh, the word of God. 
can't be done. And so the world's been replete with leaders who rise and shake their fists at God and push laws and beliefs and agendas clearly contrary to our what God's word says. We have it right now in our own country when the governor of one state puts a big billboard in Texas and says, need an abortion? Come to California. I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's abysmal. It's just, and he uses God's word on some of the billboards. I tell you, it's, it's blasphemous. He needs to get right with God. What he needs. That's what he needs. Regardless of whatever party he is with, he needs to get right with God before it's too late. God's plan continues on. His plan for the world, undisturbed by Vladimir Putin, undisturbed by Xi Jinping, undisturbed by that uh, King Jong-un, or whatever, I know which one's on there now, but the King Jong-un, Il, Jing Jong-il, Un, Ung. I'm not sure. By the way, I shouldn't say that with such uh, frivolity. Christians in North Korea, we should pray. If you've not read about what they suffer in North Korea, it is abysmal what they go through. They have to harvest their own human excrement. That's how they, what they sow in their fields to raise their crops. God's word stands. Now I know, verse 11, the Lord is greater than all gods, for in the thing wherein they dealt proudly, he was above them. He may not have been what we would call a Bible-believing, thumping Baptist at that point in time, but what he was, I believe, was a believed in monotheism. And this just rehearsing that, you know what? Jehovah God is better than, than any other God. He, he is the God. Of, by the way, that was the whole purpose of, of Egyptian, all the plagues, to show that Jehovah, Lord Yahweh, Tetragrammaton, Yahweh was the God above all gods. There's no question. He's thumped them all. Turn to him. Monolatry is called someone. That's the leads to monolatry or the worship of one God. By the way, you are a monotheist. Yes. You know that you're a monotheist? You believe in monotheism? You do? One God, three persons, yes, but one God. Twelve. And Jethro, uh, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and offered sacrifices. What fellowship that was. That was reunion. Recognition starts in 13. Recognition. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood by Moses from morning to evening. So he's not only charged with the responsibility of caring for perhaps 1.2 to 2 million people, military of the nation, but he's also now got to do the legal and civil problems. He's got to solve them all. Can you match it for 2 million people? I'm telling you, he would have worn out. Had this not been put into place, what put in place in chapter 18, they would have never made it to the 40 years. Well, not with Moses in charge, anyway. He would have been in a funny farm, we'd call it. He's taking care of all this. Guzik said, among such a large group, there would naturally be disputes and questions of interpretations to settle. Apparently, Moses was virtually the only recognized judge in the nation, and the job of hearing each case occupied Moses from morning until evening. Jethro noted this and asked Moses about it. And when Moses' father-in-law saw 14, all that he did to the people, he said, What is the thing that thou doest to the people? Why is sitting here day after day and taking all this time? And why are they waiting from sun up to sundown? And some of them don't even get to see you. It's going to be discouraging I remember the Zemers who was we, we, we connected with yesterday when we were in Romania he said we when we go pay our, our bills our, our, our like our electric bill we plan to spend the day we'll wait four to six hours to get in to pay our electric bill and we'll wait for this I'm complaining about 
Uh, I have to hit three extra buttons now. Pay this bill. If I want to switch my, I got to hit three buttons to switch them out. I'm going. So how about four to six hours? And you have to get out of your chair too, which we don't have to even get out of your chair now. You can pay all your bills from most of the booster bills right from your seat there with your computer. Moses clearly recognized God had given him this leadership role and he's been trained for 40 years with sheep and now he's got 40 more years with a whole lot more sheep and real sheep probably too. And when a dispute came along, it was Moses' problem to handle. Quite ironic that in light of Moses' first experience as arbiter, it was a bit ironic that after 40 years with the sheep, he was now given the role he initially tried to fulfill on his own and in Egypt. The thing you want to do 40 years earlier, you're doing now. But it's God's time and you are ready. You weren't ready then. You're ready now. The judge, Shaphat, means uh, in the context, the arbitration of civil, domestic, and religious disputes in verse 16. They have a dispute. Implication, of course, that Moses was both the authority to punish and the finality of the decision. And I was just thinking, how are they having disputes when they're, when they're mobile, when they're, they're traveling from one place to another? They have no land dispute of because they're just visiting on lands. They have but tents. Well, your tents, uh, your tent, the rain came off your tent over a mine and my blanket got wet. I'm telling Moses on you. I don't know how it works. I tell you, we can come up with problems, though. We, we're human beings. We can make problems where there are none, and then we can make problems, and then we'll come along and solve them like we've done something. No, you made the problem in the first place. Don't come to me and say you're solving something. You started it, which never been started in the first place, and now you're going to solve something that shouldn't have been started in the first place. That just, that's just not a good way to go. Septuagint uses this word diacrino here, a, a legal technical term for arbitration of a dispute in order to settle a difference. He was, he, was, he was doing decisions. Can you imagine how, if you work in the computers, which some different ones if you do, and, and you've processed invoices all day long, my brain's fried. I mean, my two little brain cells, I get home and they're like smoking. And smoke can go off my head because there's no hair to stop. It's like, can you imagine every single day all you deal with is problems? Man, I, again, I started Amazon the seventh day. I couldn't handle it anymore because that little ding on the, on the computer, hello? Well, I want you to know, sir, this is Amazon. How can I help you? Well, I just got... Hello? Okay, solve that problem. Hello? Every single person. Now, they weren't all angry, but... They all had problems. I said, Stephanie, I can't handle this anymore. Can I get a different job? Yes, if you'll stop whining, you get a different job. <laughs> she didn't say those words so much, but, you know, it, it was 9.30 Saturday morning, so I, I, that was it. Another uh, refers to a friend, associate. 17, and the thing that thou doest is not good. Thou will surely wear away, both thou and thy people that is with thee. You're going to wear away. Jo Jethro saw the problem. It, it was too big to carry, this whole load. Of, he's just, just too much for you. And to his credit, this verse tells him Moses had already to some degree organized everybody, but it was just so much to do. He just could not get it all done. Perhaps, though, now, on a negative side, perhaps Moses thought he was indispensable, that he had to hear everything and get involved in everything, or it just wasn't going to be done right. He hadn't heard the 80% rule. Have you heard the 80% rule? Brother Fox acquainted me with the 80% rule. Be happy with 80%. If you aren't doing that thing, that person, if he doesn't, if he, be happy with 80%. I think with me, he's happy with 50 sometimes. But uh, 80%, be happy with that. And for, you know, perhaps I'm looking, I want it done this way. 
and they do 80% of the way, but maybe the way they did it was better than what I even thought, so maybe they were doing 120%, but I, if it's not my way, it's the highway. Well, maybe they need a different road, and there's a different road that's a whole lot more scenic. <laughs> Moses, perhaps he thought that. Perhaps he was thinking, if I'm not involved in everything in this congregation, this place will fall apart. I'm not sure what he thought. Oh, okay, pastors can get that way if they're not careful. We should be doing at churches is training people so when the pastor is gone for a Sunday, it doesn't make us a lick. Someone does this, someone does that, etc., 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 and just goes right on. What if the pastor was called home in a car accident this week? Should go right on. This is God's ministry. It's not my ministry. This is God's church. It is His place. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Jethro gave us some very kind criticism. You're not a one-man show, and you need to delegate some responsibility, otherwise you're going to wear out. Interesting, one Greek cynic philosopher said, there are only two people who will tell you the truth about yourself, besides your cat, an enemy who has lost his temper or a friend who loves you dearly. The true test of a friend is not how frequently he or she is with you, but how honest he or she is with you, how honest they are. And it's a tough thing. It's a tough thing to be like that with a friend you have to be careful the bible says though faithful are the wounds of a friend but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful keep your friends close and your enemies closer that's a that's the old motto in the world keep your friends close and your enemies closer so you know what they're doing jethro was not like the israelites who came to moses with griping complaining and whining and, and all those different things he came with some good ideas uh, he was uh, Jethro was a good public relations man. He saw the need. The word wear out, wear out there means to put in more modern terms means to crack up or break down. If you don't do something, Moses, you're going to crack up. It's not going to work. Moses had perhaps a martyr complex. Stop being this absolute workaholic, Moses. You've got to have time to stand apart. There's one pastor talking about how this pastor sometimes get too committed. He said this pastor, his daughter's getting married, and they were flying to a remote place, exotic place to get married. Only problem was the pastor was the ceremonial person giving the marrying them. He was the father of the bride, and he was the photographer at the wedding. So how can you do all three of those things at once? You've got a problem there. Officiating father of the bride, and taking all the pictures. Uh, it just, well, i got to have some help on that. Too much for one. John Phillips says this, break, uh, can convict us, me. No local church or any Christian organization should ever be a one-man show. And it certainly does not, should not be. Moses had to learn to delegate responsibility. Moses had to find a way he could to be the final authority, but that others would take up some of his workload. Moses had to learn to delegate much of the responsibility. Interesting, the Hebrew uh, root of this word, to wear away, uh, comes from a word, nebel, N-E-B-E-L, which the root word is nebella, which means corpse or something devoid of life. If you don't, you are going to become devoid of life. You're going to wear away. Too heavy for thee is heavier than you is this thing. Sort of like Yoda. Heavier than you is this thing. If you do that, it's going to be heavier than you. You can't handle it. You've got to do something. So that was the recognition, the recommendation. You can read it in 1923. read it earlier. You need to have some people to sign up to help you, uh, men who are capable, men who are godly, men who are, understand what it means to, uh, to do correctly and to adjudicate positively and honestly. And then you are to train and you are to be God's man to the people, but get you some helpers. 
G. Campbell Morgan says, no man is warranted in attempting to carry more than he is able to carry. One of the greatest signs of capacity for leadership is the ability to call others into fellowship and responsibility and service. Uh, one of the mantras of a president of a company is never, always surround yourself with people who are smarter than you are. So that way they can do things and you can do your part, but they also are smarter than you can do their part very, very well. Uh, Woodrow Kroll gives the example in 89, 1789, an uncertain George Washington was urged to seek the presidency by Governor Morris, a Pennsylvania delegate to the Constitutional Convention. And Morris wrote to Washington, no constitution is the same on paper and in life. The exercise of authority depends upon personal character. That's it. And so he knew very well. And that's what Jethro says. Listen, you've got to get these guys heads over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They've got to be men of character. You've got to have that. You've got to share the load. The story was told of a, a doctor visiting in, in Africa. And, he's, they were, and they're walking. And his son was burning, burning, beating down mercilessly. And the doctor was 85 years old. And he looked over and saw one of the native American women. She was struggling to carry this load of wood up the hill. And the 85-year do- old doctor went over and took the burden from the relieved woman and carried it up the hill. And, his, and his, the student said, Doctor, what were you doing like that? She said, Listen, no one should have to carry a burden like that alone. No one should have to carry a burden. And that's what he's saying to Moses. And the response. And Moses hearkened unto the voice of his father-in-law. Four applications as we close. Four thoughts to grow on. First of all, separation. Separa- separate the essential from the additional. What is the essential? What are the additional things? And by the way, we face that every single day. What is the essential? What is additional? We have to do the essential things. I've got to get up, clean up. I've got to read my Bible, and I've got to pray. I've got to do that. That's Absolutely essential. We need to be obedient to God. Absolutely essential. Additional is, well, can I get the yard mowed tomorrow? Can I take the cat to the vet? Do I have to pick the cat up from the vet? Do I have to do this? Do I have to? And all these different things. Those are additional things. By the way, essential is picking the cat up again, bringing it home. But we find those, what is essential? What is additional? The smaller tax, we may be able to lay those aside. Uh, Moody said, it is better to set a hundred men to work than to do the work of a hundred men. Well, there we are. Moderation. Restrain yourself. Involve yourself less. Third, realization. God's servants are not exempt from natural law. Sometimes pastors, we think, well, I'm doing the work of the Lord. I'm never going to have a physical problem. I'm doing the work of the Lord. Well, we do. I mean, we're just, we're human beings. And some pastors have run themselves ragged. Fourthly, delegation. Efficiency increases our, as we relinquish. Efficiency increases as we relinquish. We get more done. So, like, for example, I have my little list here in my pocket, one of my two pockets here somewhere, my little list of all the things, whoever's going to help, we're going to meet right over here after church, and I'm going to read all the things, and you can pick and choose what you want to do. But this is what I need to do. And, and I've talked with Mr. Lauderdale, and we have and other things downstairs, how we're going to do these things. So efficiency means we know our direction, and here's, I've already got some space out to move the big piano in here. So it's, it's we have to be, think about that, our ministry. And so... If you want to get in contact with me, if you wait for me to answer you on Facebook, you might wait for a very long time. But if you text me, call me, text me, I will, or on the instant messenger, I try to respond as soon as I see it for the most part. We have got to, what, what is essential, what is additional? Jethro offers these three things as we close. Simply, it would be easier for Moses 
We make sometimes life so much more difficult than it needs to be by obsessing over every detail. I've got to have all these things in place. I do that when I play the piano. If I blew something, I'll get this big... I did it tonight. got a frown on my face. because man, I really missed that spot. Do the best you can for God's glory. Whatever it is he's called you to do. Secondly... Uh, Bear the, have others bear the burden with you. Shared leadership is so much more exciting than trying to do it all on your own, isn't it? You get, I think if you sit and we work with somebody, find out a lot more about who they really are, and then people have able to go home in peace. Israelites, I'm sure, were uptight and very much put out now with Moses. Man, we got to do something. I've stood here all day and I've not seen him yet. And I'm going to come back tomorrow. Maybe the same thing happens. You see how the peace, when it happens, when it works right, and there's that sharing of the load God is pleased, and we do the work together. And I want to say, you are a very load-sharing church. I am so grateful. May we continue that uh, as we go forward. Let us pray. Would help us as we think about this topic tonight. May we be about your business, and that would also mean help getting others to help. And or perhaps we need to step and be up and be someone who helps someone, whatever, however the shoe fits. May we be willing to serve you faithfully. May you pilot our ship each day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.